Welcome to Season 2, Episode 1 of Jesus in Montreal, a podcast of the Presbyterian College. Through this podcast, we are exploring the theme of Christian identity in Montreal. We are sharing stories of faith and work and music and ministry in this unique context. We are asking the question, where is Jesus alive and bringing hope and joy and transformation in the city? Your host for this episode is Roland DeVries, Principal of the College, and our guest is Tefik Karatop. Tefik is originally from Turkey and moved to Montreal several years ago. His story is one of a geographic shift from the Hagia Sophia in Istanbul to St. Joseph's Oratory in Montreal, and of a shift into Christianity from Islam. Tefik works for Jesuit Refugee Services in Montreal and is encountering Jesus through his work in Canada and globally. We are pleased to welcome Tevik as we explore themes of faith, vocation, scripture, and life's meaning. Welcome to this episode of Jesus in Montreal. So, Tevik, uh, welcome to uh, the Presbyterian College. Uh, we're here sitting in a classroom upstairs, and we're here to talk about uh, Jesus in Montreal as a part of this podcast, and I'm so grateful that you're here and that we can have this conversation. We know a little bit about each other already because mm-hmm. uh, we've met in the context of the Montreal School of Theology, and we also serve now together on the board of directors of uh, Action Refugee Montreal. So we know each other a little bit. We don't know each other that well, but uh, I know enough about you that I'm really glad that uh, we can have a conversation. Thank you. Before we launch into more substantial things and bigger conversations, um, this podcast is entitled Jesus in Montreal, and we are in this specific beautiful city of Montreal. True, and I yes. thought, first of all, Tevik, tell me something you love about uh, the city of Montreal. Yes. First of all, thank you so much for having me. So it's it's, a, it's fun. So I like this. I've been here for seven years. So and I first arrived in November. So which was almost winter. Mm-hmm. So I like that part. I pretend to be liking that part. But um, Montreal is a very multicultural, multilinguistic city, and it enriched my journey. It enriched my personality for the last seven years. I've been meeting with people from all over the world. I've been living with them. They became my friends, family. Mm. So probably this is the best part about being Montreal. And even though we have our problems, I'm very well aware of those problems. I think we are a kind of a beacon of hope for living together in Montreal. People, in my opinion, in my Middle Eastern opinion, they live peacefully. So probably this is the best part about Montreal. If you want me to talk about restaurants in Montreal, I can, <laughs> but I don't think we have time for that. Yeah, we all have our lists, right? <laughs> True, yeah, exactly. Yes. Absolutely. Lovely food. Um, yeah, so this is about Jesus in Montreal, and True. it's uh, based in part on the film of Denis Arcan, Jesus mm-hmm. of Montreal. We've just tweaked it, Jesus in Montreal. And so we want to get to some of those theological and religious and spiritual questions. Um, but I thought, first of all, if you could just share a little bit more about yourself. Um, I, I know that uh, you work for Jes- Jesuit Refugee Services, and we're going to talk True. about that uh, a little bit later. But just you know, a little bit of, of your own story of, of uh, arriving here in Montreal and what brought you to this to this city. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in Turkey, so I'm originally from Turkey. I grew up in Istanbul. I'm coming from the city of Hagia Sophia, so and I'm very proud of coming from that city, Istanbul. 
Um, so I arrived here as a PhD student in marketing. So I went to Concordia for one and a half years. Then this is one of the biggest perks of being an immigrant. You start from scratch. You have this new life. What would you like to do? What is your calling in this life, Tefik? Mm -hmm. And this kind of discernment questioning brought me to the Montreal School of Theology, Montreal Diocesan College, and I started my Master of Divinity here. Then I finished my Master of Divinity. I'm completing my Master's in Religious Studies now. So this is my journey. I grew up in a Muslim family until the age of almost 25, I was a practicing Muslim. So my family is practicing their religion. They are still Muslim, <clears throat> but they would consider probably themselves enlightened Muslims. So we are different. Turkish Islam is a bit different. But I grew up with loving my God, honestly. So mm. that was one of the first things I've ever been told. Like, you are not alone, Tefik. If you feel scared or if there is a problem, you can pray to God and mm. God is with you. So I grew up with that feeling. And at some point I was praying and I went to even on the like Islamic pilgrimage. So okay. I visited Mecca, Medina. So it was like one of the best parts of my journey, mm. being with millions of people who get together to pray to God. And But at the age of 25, it started as an intellectual project, actually. Mm. I studied religion in my previous master's in cultural studies, but I had never read the Bible. And I was like, Tefik, you studied religion. You need to learn about Christianity. Mm. You have an idea about Islam, Shia Islam, Sunni Islam. So, <clears throat> excuse me. And then I start to read the Bible. Like, okay, what is this Old Testament or like Hebrew Bible? Okay, what is this New Testament? Mm. What? Who is this Paul guy? Why is he so angry all the time or like <laughs> telling people off? So, and after a certain while, I realized two things. First, this is not just an intellectual project. I hear something, but what is this? Then I realized I cannot do this alone. Mm -hmm. So this is not just a personal project. I stay at home, read my Bible, try to understand what's going on. That was the first time I decided to go to a church. Mm -hmm. I went to a Catholic church. I went to a Lutheran church, and they gave me a small booklet about Luther's theology. And the theology of grace opened my heart to understand what's going on in the New Testament. I wouldn't claim I understand what's going on, everything in the Bible. But I grew up in a religion. My religion, my family's religion, people around me, they were very peaceful people. They loved mm. their God. But there was one thing they told me. Tefik, if you behave well, you're going to go to heaven. Mm. So, But if you don't behave well, there is something called hell and you will end up there. So mm. you need to behave. Okay, perfect. And I start to collect bonuses. So I will say goodbye to Roland. Mm. Then I have one coin for my heaven. Then I first read Martin Luther's writings. He was talking about this free grace, like God mm. saves you, mm. it's freely given. And I was like, oh, okay. So this God is not a trader God asking you to do something good, then he will take you to heaven mm. kind of religion. It started, it somehow it opened my heart. It was the key. Then I started to participate, like attend the church. Mm. I started to talk to people and... It reminded me of something from my childhood. My first childhood memory is about God. It was raining like a storm 
And I was so scared. And I remembered what my mom told me. Okay, I can pray to God and God will be there. Mm-hmm. And I remember, okay, God, I know you are here. So they told me you created me. I was nothing and I'm here now. And I trust you. I heard that voice again when I was talking to people, when I was worshiping with people in the church, and when I was reading the Bible. So mm-hmm. my Christian journey started there. And if you ask my opinion after like almost 10, 11 years, God brought me through a very unique journey because I was not born in a, to a Christian family. Mm. I didn't go to a Sunday school. Like at the age of 25, I had to learn the basics. Yeah. So, okay, who is Jesus? Joseph? So what's the relationship right. here? So we know Isa and Maryam, so they are in the Quran. Right. And I loved those parts. And I still think the parts about Maryam and Isa in the Quran, they are just beautiful, mm. especially a story about Jesus makes a bird out of clay mm. and just like um, breeds spirit into the into the bird. So I love that story, and I think my story continues. Mm. But I, at some point, God opened my heart to the good message of Christ. Yeah, right. Um, we're gonna come back to the question of where we meet Jesus today, and maybe where you meet right. Jesus today. And I think for all of us, this is something that we have a, you know, as we're growing and maturing in faith, it's not something that's a static. Um, we, we discover new ways of encountering exactly. Christ. Um, uh, just, is there anything you would say about meeting Jesus in those early days? Like, was there something about meeting this Jesus that was a part of that journey and hearing that voice? Yeah. Right. When I was reading the Gospels, I was like, I think this guy is a Middle Eastern guy. He's very familiar. I mean, he enjoys weddings. So, and sometimes like, you know, he has his like temper, he gets angry. But the message that God was so ready to be with you and to reconcile, to mend this relationship, he became human. Mm. That was the, probably the, abstract idea where I heard God's voice. Mm. And when Jesus talks to other people, it makes so sense for me, especially the cultural context. Yes, 2,000 years later, so like I grew up in Turkey. So whenever I read the Bible still, like, you know, Jesus, I love you Mm. and you are so real and I think he still incarnates in our lives and I can feel that. And I met with Jesus. I always say this. I met with Jesus with in people. Mm. So this is also my, I think, the biggest part of my journey. Um, I met with people. For instance, I volunteered with Syrian refugees back in Turkey right. just for like a short amount of time. I was teaching them Turkish because they needed to learn Turkish. They're going to school and there are like 3.5 million refugees, Syrian refugees in Turkey. I would say I felt closer to God while I'm teaching what we call bread in Turkish mm. to, to them because I saw love in their encounters with their family with other kids so that's the thing about like the christian message we don't say god loves you god 
like I love God, like we love our mm. God, God mm. loves you, but God is love. So wherever I see love, I think there is God. And I'm so certain about it. I have felt it like to the last bone of my mm. like corporal body. So that was the that was the thing. And from my childhood till today, whenever I meet with people, I'm a people's person, kind of like it yeah. energizes me. <laughs> I love it. Like, you know, invite me. We're going to have coffee and we will enjoy our time together. So I have those moments. I stop. Thank you, Lord, for being here with us. So I am a big witness. So and I work with Jesuits. So like right. it's a big thing in like Ignatian spirituality. So you find God among people. Mm. And wherever I go, whenever I meet with refugees, we can talk about it. I find my God in refugees. Right. So, and I can talk about it later if you yeah, want. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, if we fast forward a little bit, right. um, uh, you were already working with Syrian refugees when you were in Turkey, and this is when you were still living in right. Turkey. Yeah. Um, and you have this migration experience from Turkey to True. Montreal. You're pursuing your academic program here. Um, you studied at the Montreal School of Theology, Montreal Dio. Um, and then you have this this journey that doesn't sort of lead into professional ministry. No, right, <laughs> right? true. It doesn't yeah. lead you into the pulpit. Uh, it doesn't lead you into the priesthood. Um, it leads you into another form of ministry. Maybe as we get toward where you are now, you're doing this work with refugees again. Right. Um, but this transition, when you were studying theology and you were thinking about ministry, you didn't land there in that conventional place. And can you True. just talk about how your sense of how God called you through that and into something that wasn't maybe what you had anticipated? Thank you so much for asking. Actually, um, it's been a journey. So I told you, I am a convert and I started with the basics. My idea was, my first sentence before starting my MDiv, God my Lord, I want to serve you and your people. Mm. So I really want to serve people. And it is somehow, it's my, my personality, my culture. So if you come here, so we will definitely find something sweet to it. I'll make some coffee kind of person. Perfect. So it is my like, yeah, it's, it's my personality. And then I thought the probably the most proper way of serving people, becoming a priest, a pastor, and then you have this context, people are getting together, at least on Sundays, and you like provide pastoral care to these people. And I thought, you know, I can do this. Mm. And because I love people, I love serving them, mm. it might be my calling. But I met with very wise people. They told me, you can start your MDiv, you can like study theology, perfect. We can see that desire in you, but you need to discern. Mm. So, and this discernment is going to be all together. So we're not going to let you go all alone, like wandering in the <laughs> wilderness. Right. So we will discern together. Mm. And it took me like four or five years in total. I started, like, I'm, I'm Lutheran, so I was baptized, confirmed Lutheran. Okay. And I went to the church and I told them, I think I'm called to become a pastor. Mm. They had their questions, I had my questions, but eventually they said, yes, so you are a candidate for ordained ministry mm. in the Evangelical Lutheran Church. But in the meantime, I was studying with people. Like, we go to McGill, we take our courses from McGill, we have our Presbyterian mm. uh, friends, United Church friends, Anglicans, Lutherans. I realized, they told me, Tefik, first of all, there are like one billion ways of serving people. Mm. 
and in the church context. So it doesn't have to be outside the church context, which is okay too. So you can serve people. And I was like, huh, okay, tell me more. It's like, how can I do this? And they told me about like, you know, different um, options and everything. Then I remember having this conversation with God. Lord, I think I'm called to become a minister, but you're going to tell me how it's going to look like. Because sometimes I think we force God to mm. call us. God, I know you are calling me, right? right? So maybe he's not calling you to that ministry. Mm. But I think the decision of doing an MDiv was the best decision mm. for two reasons. First of all, I had a very good theological education right. and it changed my life, not just for profession. So now I can do things theologically mm. and I think people are doing things theologically. This is my personal belief. And second, God gave me that context where I can meet with people and I can talk about this calling or their callings. And they are gracious and patient enough to listen to me for hours with my existential questions. Mm. So how can you find these people? <laughs> so, And these people are in Montreal. So this mm. is my Montreal. For many people, maybe it's a very secular place. Right. But for me, it was the first place where I can go to church without hesitating, without risking my life. Mm. So it was okay. Back in Turkey, you can go to church. But you know something might happen. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to theological education, I had this context where people can listen to me and I can listen to them. And most of the time, where I found these pieces of discernment was in people's conversations about themselves. Mm. I was not talking about myself or my calling. Someone told me, yeah, I, I, I go to a shelter and it makes me feel so good. Hmm. Mm. Okay, there are shelters and people work there, fine ministry. And then this kind of discernment uh, convinced me to go and volunteer for a refugee organization. So, and I'm in, like, I'm, I've been living here in a migrant, so... And I met with people and I was like, you know what? I can go and volunteer. So I started to volunteer for the Jesuit refugee service. Mm. And it was so clear after a certain while. I loved it. Mm. And I think that's an important feeling too. So God motivates you to wake up in the morning, go there, volunteer, work with people. Mm. So this was, this was my um, journey. And at some point, I, I would say bravely, said, I think I'm not called to parish ministry. Mm. I'm definitely called to ministry. And I'm, I'm a good Protestant. We are all like universal Absolutely, priesthood. We yes. are all priests. We are all called to serve people. Yeah, and it's such an interesting journey, right? So in my own tradition, Presbyterian Church, you know, and, and in your Lutheran context, although we have this you know, this great theological heritage of the priesthood of all believers and that all of our vocations are in the service of Christ and uh, uh, and yet somehow we live in this this moment culturally where we still think of ministry as the things that the priest and the um, and you almost have to go through this process of theological education to discover oh wait a minute ministry is not simply what uh, the person at the front of the church is doing but we are all doing it true um, the more I've thought about this I think about my my wife who as a nurse and works in mm -hmm. chronic pediatric pain. Oh, beautiful. And I, I think to myself, does she need to be, you know, in, in ministry in the church to serve 
the, the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ? True. Evidently not, right? So she is a full participant in the mission of God, where she finds herself. And so it is kind of shocking that we've lost <laughs> something True. of that and lost the capacity to think about it and to live it. And uh, there's a kind of gift in going through a process of theological education and, and spiritual discernment True. that allows you to, to rediscover that. So yeah, so now you're in ministry with the Jesuits. Right. And uh, so just tell us a bit about that. I know that there's this particular activity that you do with uh, the Jesuit refugee services. So can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, so I've been working for one and a half years and I was volunteering for this project. Now I'm the project manager. So we have a simulation exercise. So it's technically a role-playing game. And what I do, I travel across North America in Canada, United States. I go and facilitate this simulation exercise with high school students, university students, churches, community organizations, companies, etc., etc. So what I do is actually storytelling so i everyone takes a character and you become a refugee for one and a half hours and you make decisions based on your uh, character and in the meantime i share real refugee stories and people learn and feel about how to be a refugee which is not possible honestly mm. unless you become a refugee mm. but people they have a better idea where these people are coming from before having very strong opinions mm -hmm. about refugees, asylum seekers in Canada. So the Jesuit Refugee Service Canada is a very small, um, actually, office. We are present in 58 countries. So we work in refugee camps. We work with asylum seekers all over the world, from Australia to North America to Latin America and Europe mm -hmm. and the Middle East, Africa. I Like last month, I was in Kenya. I met with my colleagues from all over the world. For instance, in Kenya, one of the biggest refugee camps in Africa is Kakuma, and we provide secondary service, secondary schooling in okay. the camp. So, And what we do here in Canada is resettlement. So we are unique in our organization. We resettle refugees from all over the world. We work through the private refugee sponsorship program. Right. If you want, right. we can talk about it. But in, like through the Quebec system. So we try to welcome like 20 families, 20 refugees uh, each year, but effectively it takes like more than a year. Right. So, and this is like the best part of my job. It's not my job to go to the mm. airport and welcome them, but I try to accompany my colleagues all the time. We go there and we welcome them and we make sure their immigration papers are in order and everything. But you ask me, like, finding God. Mm. If you really want to meet Jesus, Montreal Airport. I mean, just mm. Google. And for me, when I go and meet with someone who is meeting with his mom after 10 years, if you really want to see Jesus, you can see Jesus in that moment, somehow hugging them when they are hugging each other. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I know that uh, migration experience is a part of your story. You've already shared a little bit about that. And I'm wondering, as you think about that migration story, as you think about how you shifted from one context to another, uh, no doubt there were some pretty significant challenges uh, along the way of that journey. And our spiritual lives are part of those challenges. And I wonder if along the way there were moments when you were sort of asking yourself, where where is Jesus? Is Jesus present with me in this experience as I go from my home country to this different world, this new place? Mm -hmm. You have your moments. I mean, 
I grew up in an upper middle class family. Mm. I was the norm back in my country. I can speak Turkish fluently with Istanbul accent. Mm. And so even though I'm coming from Southeast Turkey, so I was I was the norm. And I had a great job in marketing and sales. And then you arrive in a country, you need to learn everything from scratch. Mm. So I had those moments, Lord, do you really want to torture? I mean, I really struggle now. But again, I was very lucky because I was accompanied by those people mm. who were ready to accompany me. Mm. And they make sure I was doing okay. This was actually my theological education. People were there and they gave me a context where I can serve them and they served me in that context. I had those moments, but I had a personal like probably like a practice whenever i felt really down i used to go to the oratory saint joseph right. saint yeah. joseph's oratory so lovely place mm. and i grew up respecting for temples it's it can be a church it can mm. be a mosque but i used to travel a lot for work and i tried all each time my best to visit the biggest temple of the city to pay respect mm. for that city and that's why I have a huge respect for the oratory. And I had those moments. But I think in those conversations with God, God told me, I will say, assured me, he, he is taking me on this journey, but nothing is lost. He's going to use all of those experiences. I'm not saying when you feel down, you are like always yeah, very right. optimistic or like very hopeful. Right. But I had enough to be hopeful around me, people who were so ready to welcome mm. me and embrace me, and I embraced them with love. So even I used to think I have a like uh, ADBC kind of thing in my life. So like I'm in Canada before Canada, after Canada. Then God showed me, especially when I'm doing this job, mm. nothing is lost. So I gave you these like gifts and mm. you have this experience. Now I will translate this into your vocation. Mm. And I think my vocation is being with refugees. Right. It can take different forms so you facilitate assimilation exercise so you serve mm. people in different contexts so um that was the thing that's why i find my jesus in montreal so like the podcast yeah. is podcast is called like jesus in montreal i find jesus in i told you in people but in montreal too because this is where we seriously encountered with each other mm. and had this serious right. relationship and conversation. Okay, Lord, tell me, what is this? So it started very abstract. Okay, how do you save me? Tell me, how do you save mm. me, Lord? Then I realized actually it was probably more spiritual. So he wanted to be with me and I was so yearning for that relationship. So we have our um, Montreal moments, for instance, the cross on top of yeah, the mountain. Right. Probably it might be a bit like uh, traumatic for some people. I right. understand that and I hear that. But in my experience, it shows me something. So mm. it reminds me of my God and it reminds me of my religious freedom as well. So right. I can go to church and I will serve that beautiful coffee after your service, mm. kind of. So that is um, that was my journey uh, in Montreal. I had my moments, but I think God gave me all these beautiful people around me 
who were ready to accompany me. That's why this kind of feeling motivates me to accompany people who are mm -hmm. arriving right. here recently. Yeah, it strikes me that there are two ways we sometimes think about encountering Jesus, um, especially through the, the Gospel of Matthew, some of the, the narratives there and the teaching of Jesus. On the one hand, it, it implies that we meet Jesus in the stranger, right? Um, so that when you're at the airport, the stranger who's coming in True. and entering a new life and embracing their mother, you know, they we encounter Jesus in that person as they come to us and they bless us. But sometimes it's also you as the one who accompanies, who is the presence of Christ True. to them. And it seems to me you've been, you've sort of been on both sides of that equation by the, the story that you've been sharing. Actually, like you remind me of one sentence I use probably almost every day. I am privileged to be with refugees. Mm. I think they are the most resourceful people. They are most res resilient people and they love themselves, their families. They take huge risks to arrive in a better place, in a safer place. But at the same time, I'm privileged to be working with people who are serving refugees. Mm. So I've been to different corporate contexts. So we had our computers, we had our customers, and now I have my people, participants, my computer, emails, everything. When you look at both experiences, they my daily activities, they look very similar. But the difference is, I talk to people who are serving refugees, who are interested in learning mm -hmm. about refugees. So, and that pumps this love into my life mm -hmm. and God's breath, I would say, into my life. That's why like, I have my days, like, I don't want to work. It's mm -hmm. like, it's too cold today. I'm those. not going to work. I have, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it makes a bit easier to turn that computer on because I know I will be working with these people who are ready to cry when an asylum seeker is refused and he needs to leave the country. And sometimes I feel like we need to do a lot of things. We need to change a lot of things. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, working with these people and knowing we are trying our best to serve these people just motivates me, mm -hmm. gives me peace. Mm -hmm. I work in peace, even though all the stories I'm sharing, they are very troubling, challenging mm -hmm. stuff. But at the same time, I'm hopeful because I know these people. I know who are serving refugees and I know refugees themselves. Mm -hmm. And I know their love towards each other. So, And when you think about it, I worked in this church context. So it's a Catholic organization. It's a Jesuit right. organization. I mean, the first question I get whenever I make a decision or I write something, I prepare something, my director, my boss asks me, did you discern this? And I was like, thank you so much for asking. Right. I love that question. It's not like, you know, did you miss your deadline or like, right. I miss my deadlines. It's okay. But so you can feel like you are taking a small, very small part in the greater work of the church. So I was in Washington 10 days ago. I met with 2000 Jesuit um, high school, university students, mm -hmm. professors, different organizations. They came together to talk about social justice, to, to learn about social justice and to do something about mm. social justice. So it's a big privilege. Tevik, in a very short time, you have shared a great deal Thank already. You. We're done. Um, cool. Yeah, I, uh, I'm grateful. I think there are lots of different directions we could 
continue a conversation. I know you're doing work now and you're continuing writing your thesis on theology of the stranger. So there's almost a whole, done. Yes. Almost done. <laughs> yes. So there's a whole conversation there. But mm-hmm. um, thank you for this time you've given. Thank um, you so much. And for this conversation, um, for opening up your a bit of your life and uh, your passion and your love uh, for others. So here in Montreal. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank yeah, you. Pleasure.